Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Do you get like I, a hiccup I, or a burp and you try to swallow it? That's what we were doing there. This is the press box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grady and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for yes, home come anyway. On, Jared. Come on. on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, it's the end of the week. We always like that. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed Tyler and Jared Big. Two-game series starting at T-Mobile Arena tonight. Let's get to it. The First Bite. Is tonight a first-round playoff matchup? Hmm. Can I say I hope not that it's really they dropped a second and have to play the Wild because that would be real funny to, like, uh, watch and cover? Or no? Well, they'd have to, like, lose uh, every no. game I the mean, rest of the season no. um, at that yeah. point. Well, <laughs> Colorado did, with, did get within two there for a second, so uh, we thought it might happen. But, um, yeah, St. Louis, I, I want to ask this because I asked uh, Darren Millard, I'm going to ask DeBoer yesterday, like, I hope I don't think they think this way. That's just assumed if they play St. Louis, they'd advance and they'd win. But man, you're not hearing anything about the Blues. Like it's all oh, Colorado when they play them. Oh, they can't beat Minnesota. Like they don't. No one's talking about this team. And maybe they would win in four or five, and it doesn't matter. But I actually think it's kind of interesting that St. Louis has been a little better of late. And playoffs are weird, so I'm kind of interested in what they have to say about this series. Yeah, I think it's uh, St. Louis has won eight of the last thirteen, which isn't that impressive, but. Outside of the top three in the West, anybody being over 500 has been impressive at any point this year. Yeah. So eight of your last 13 is is fairly decent for the Blues. And, and listen, in that stretch, that includes a win over Colorado and I think two wins over Minnesota. So they've done that and beaten yeah, some of the, the, good, better, the better teams. teams. It hasn't, you know, the Golden Knights had the 10-game win streak and the first nine were against the bottom three teams in the West Division. It wasn't really, I mean, it's impressive to win nine, but it wasn't impressive right. wins every single night. So St. Louis is playing better, but like if you look uh, the analytics behind the games, the Golden Knights have been better against St. Louis than anybody else. They've, they've like played dominated. Them. Yeah, the the expected goals against St. Louis is sixty five percent, which is absurd that it's that high against St. Louis this year. So they've played some high scoring games. St. Louis has has been there in a lot of those high scoring games, but for the most part, the Golden Knights dominate shots and chances against the Blues. So I would. Fully expect, A, that this tonight is a preview of the first round, and B, that the Golden Knights will win that series easily. I mean, as easy as a playoff series can be, you know, in four or five games. Because I don't, of, of all the teams that they could play, this is as easy as it gets for the, for the top four in the West. Um, and if they struggle with St. Louis, if they were to lose to St. Louis, that's about as bad as it gets for a team that's a cup contender. I don't know what you think. I'm almost surprised. And I think they played in the opener, right? Um, and at that time of the year, everyone said Colorado was really good. But then I thought St. Louis was mentioned better or higher than Minnesota at the yep. beginning of the year. Um, yet, like St. Louis, I'll tell you this. I'm more surprised that St. Louis has struggled than I am the Golden Knights are really good. 
Like, I thought they'd be really good. Yeah. Like, like, they could win the Stanley Cup. But, like, St. Louis after – I know it was one game, but it's the beginning of the season. You're reading what everyone thinks about the division, and St. Louis was, you know, it was Colorado Vegas, but then it was St. Louis. They were closer. So I'm kind of surprised it's gone this way for them. I thought they were going to be a lot better. Well, when you uh, made your fun prediction that the Kings would make the playoffs – They haven't been eliminated, by the way. <laughs> the Blues we're, – we're, Hold on. Hold on. We are sitting here on May 7th. There's no way – I'll give you this, that they're not going to make it, but you give it back to me that there's no way on May 7th you wouldn't have thought they wouldn't have been eliminated. I mean, the <laughs> Blues' chances of making the playoffs are at 99.5%. They haven't been eliminated. They haven't been eliminated. The Kings are that other half <laughs> yes, a percent. Yes, we're holding still on. Still hanging on. We're holding on. But <laughs> when you made that prediction, it was because the Kings could catch Minnesota. Yeah, it wasn't like, St. Louis. St. Yeah. Louis was regarded as one of the big yeah. three in the West. And then as the season played out, St. Louis was most definitely not one of the big three, and Minnesota was. So... Yes, it's been a surprise that St. Louis hasn't been as good all season long, but they're going to be there in the playoffs. They're going to make it to the four seed, and you know that's probably going to be the Golden Knights. They're probably not going to win that series, but they're going to get there at the end of the day. So it's I, I'm looking forward to tonight and tomorrow. It's because it's interesting because they're actually playing a back to back, and mm -hmm. they haven't. When Colorado went on pause, it, it made for some rescheduling, and because Vancouver had been on pause for a month, there was that extra week or so in the schedule. So the Golden Knights schedule has actually been decently spaced out for the last couple of weeks. I mean, they haven't played that many games in a row compared to the early part of the season. So it's interesting, A, that they're back-to-back -back tonight, but also I am, I'm curious to see, like, goaltender-wise – you have Flurry, you have Leonard. This is a first round matchup or potential first round matchup. You're presumably going to have to choose between one of those two guys, even though we've heard it before. They could just keep the goalie rotation rolling. I, I'm curious to see both of the next two nights how Leonard, how Flurry, and how the rest of the team plays. And also, who who the hell's healthy for the Golden Knights? Right. Like, is is Max Pacioretty? Is he still day to day and and not really an, an option to play these next two days? That's the other part. Because here's here's the interesting thing. Yesterday, we had Darren Millard on the show talking about Peyton Krebs. And one of the things that he said was that the Golden Knights were choosing to play Peyton Krebs over a full lineup. So the last two games, the Golden Knights have played with just 11 forwards and just 17 skaters instead of the normal 12, skater, or 12 forwards and 18 skaters. And Darren Millard said they've chose that, that they've got Peyton Krebs in the lineup when the alternative would be to have uh, Tomas Jerko and Dylan Sakura in the lineup, or I guess Dylan Coglin if you play him as a forward instead. So they've chosen to play Peyton Krebs, but the lineup be short instead of not playing Peyton Krebs and the lineup be full with 12 players. And that, to me, is fascinating, that they would choose to play a shorthanded lineup just to see Peyton Krebs. Well, that has to be it, right? They, I'm sure they know the other two wouldn't be playoff options for them. So if they're trying to figure out with the in the six games we've talked about with Peyton Krebs, I guess you need to see as much of him as possible. The first night, DeBoer said he didn't play him enough. Uh, he played really well. I didn't think he played as well the second game, but he played like three or four more minutes of ice yes, time. Yes, he, he played more than nine minutes. Okay, so yeah, he played like 11 or 12, but... Yeah, that I think that has, as Millard said, I think that has to be the reason that they are absolutely thinking, look, this guy could seriously be an option. If, if other guys are hurt, they can't come back. We don't know the status of them because we never do know the status of anyone. Uh, so in the back of DeBoer's mind, I'm sure he's saying, look, Jerko and, and, and others, they're not going to be an option for us, but this guy might be. So let's see as much as we can of him. Why, why bring someone in the lineup? If we know they're not going to be a playoff option this close to the playoffs. It's been fascinating to see this year with George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon basically deciding the regular season is irrelevant. 
because they again like the whole season has been under the the idea that they're so close to the salary cap that if they have like two injuries just like two injuries they can't play with a full line right because they don't have enough cap space to call up two guys to fill those spots and the golden knights basically said well we're, we're fine with that if we have to play a few games with 17 skaters we're fine with that because the team is going to be good enough and now they're doing it with Peyton Krebs saying we'd rather see him than have a full lineup. We would rather see Peyton Krebs than have a full lineup. It's basically the Golden Knights saying the regular season's irrelevant. Like, A, the team's good enough to win enough of these games that it makes it irrelevant. And B, it doesn't really matter what happens. We're cared about the playoffs, which is we see it in the NBA. We see that oh, in the absolutely. NBA all the time. Yeah. We don't see that in hockey very yeah. much. Like we don't see teams yeah. say the the regular season, oh, these games aren't like there's the not load they, management right, in the, the NHL. The way they manage their roster right. doesn't suggest anything right. like this. But the way the Golden Knights have managed their roster, they've said two things. A, we think we're good enough to get this done anyways. And B, the regular season is not that important. We'd rather see Peyton Krebs than have a full lineup against Minnesota. We'd rather have a team pushed all the way to the cap than have a full lineup when we have injuries. And it's it's fascinating to me to see that. And I think like this was the year to do it if you're George McPhee because you knew you had a good enough team to make the playoffs. You knew you were in a bad division. Like, it wasn't really going to impact you. It'd be different if this was, you know, St. Louis doing it when St. Louis needs every point. Well, they're going to get in. but they, They're getting in. That they, they needed every point to get there. But I think, it's, I think it's a smart move by McPhee throughout the course of the season to basically punt on the regular season and say, yeah, whatever, we'll just have a team all the way against the cap, and then once we're in the playoffs, the cap doesn't matter, and... Give us a look at Peyton Krebs, even though we're going to play down a man. Do you think, I mean, I, I look, they know obviously if Patch Reddy is going to be ready and others are going to be ready, but do you think this has a lot to do with it, that they know they'll be completely healthy and it's fine? Like they're, they're trying out Peyton Krebs, obviously. Obviously they're trying out for the playoffs because you wouldn't be playing in this much the last six games if you thought there's no way this guy's playing in the playoffs. And they've just made up their minds, like we know Patch Reddy will be fine, we know everyone will be healthy, so what, you know, what does it matter? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, and again, with Pacioretty, at this point, that's the other thing about uh, hockey players that are interesting compared to, like, you brought up the NBA and, you know, Kawhi load management, all these guys load management before the playoffs. Um, let's say Pacioretty's, I don't know, 80% now. What do they have? Four left, right? They have St. Louis, St. Louis twice, Colorado, and I think they ended San Jose yeah. or San mm-hmm. Jose. Does he just need to get in the last game to be fine? Probably. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if he's like 80, 85% right now, I'm like, yeah. Wait a week, play the San Jose game, and then we go. Yeah, there's no, there's no real point. I, I guess if you, I guess if you go into that Colorado game where they're within two points. Well, that's or the other thing. We don't know what's going to happen this weekend because Colorado get the Mighty Kings. The so Mighty if they, Kings. If they sweep the Mighty Kings and the and the Knights, let's say split, then you have a decision yeah, on then, Monday night. Then the Colorado game becomes because they still have a game in hand. Yeah, very important to you know keep yeah. the number one seed overall. So kind of depends. I don't. I mean, I don't expect the Golden Knights to lose both games to the Blues. Maybe they, they lose could split one of them. them, but if you if you if you split them, you're still in pretty good shape with holding off the Avalanche. Uh, do you know what'll be interesting? Let me ask you this. Let's say, okay, I don't think this is happening anyway. They're tied going into Monday night, or just leading by two. It's Leonard's. Tra- it's Leonard's. Uh, it's Leonard's. Oh, it's tra- his turn. It's his. Well, yeah, Leonard tonight. Flurry tomorrow yeah. night. That would because they'd have a day in between. So Flurry played Saturday. He'd have Sunday off. And let, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. They're tied. So, and, and, and Colorado still has a game in hand. So the only time this year that Pete DeBoer has broken the rotation between Colorado and Flurry was earlier in the year when he played Flurry back-to-back games against Colorado. And he, DeBoer was like, well, he's earned it. He's been so good for us all season and whatever. 
That's the only time uh, ever since then they've rotated yes. every other game when Leonard's been healthy. Obviously they've right. rotated every other game. So that would be fascinating. Like if it's, if it's not, nah, they're up four, I think it's right. still Leonard. If, they're, yeah, if the exactly. division's basically decided, you go Leonard, yeah, yeah, who cares? But that would be fascinating yeah, because you if haven't seen Leonard against Colorado. Right. If thing. you're, if you're, if they go into that game to the tied. division, yeah. And the division is still on the line and Oof. he skips the rotation to go to Mark Andre Fleury. He's well, basically telling us Mark Andre is, is his playoff yeah, goalie. Yeah. He might have already told us that from right. earlier in the year, right. but that was a couple months ago. So right. things have changed. But that would be that would be interesting if he skips the rotation to give Flurry the start for hey, we need to win the division. All right, coming up next, Albert Pujols and the Angel. What the hell happened there? Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. So yesterday, the Angels designated Albert Pujols for assignment. Uh, He is in the final year of his contract. He is uh, hitting below 200 on the season. And apparently, Albert Pujols was not happy that over the weekend, he was not in the lineup for one of the games against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, when the Rays had a left-hander on the mound to start the game. Or, well, technically the Rays had a starter and the the left-hander was the guy coming in in the second inning. But Pujols (laughs) was not happy that he was not in the lineup for that game. What in the hell just happened? Because even though Pujols sucks, I feel like you don't just release Albert Pujols in the middle of the season because he's unhappy he didn't play in one game. No, I mean, if it, yeah, you're right. If it becomes like this daily uh, issue with his attitude, and he just, you know, he's making issues. I don't think Albert Pujols did. Then you have to think about it, but not after one game. I want to ask you this because apparently the front office made the decision. Like, is Brad Pitt running the Angels now? Should be. I think I think Brad Pitt's running the Angels, <laughs> and and you know, it'd be hard for poor Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace, to uh, be taking that uh, information. But yeah, it was, I mean, if I'm Joe Madden, and I don't know how to, to the level this went. It's still Joe Madden. Why is the front office telling him what to do? And that's just these reports that that's what happened. I don't know if Joe Madden, you know, is out there saying these things, but it, like I said, unless it becomes a daily issue, a daily problems, like look, you're you've just reached a point. The game is kind of telling you it's over. We're not going to play you, and he just has an attitude problem and he's causing issues. I think you let him finish it out. I don't. I mean, what's the point of waving? You have to pay him anyway. Yeah. What's he make thirty this year? Uh, I think he makes. I think he makes thirty million. I think like he makes that. thirty million this yeah. year. So it's one game. Maybe there's longer talks and you just understand. You tell him, look, this is where it's going to be this year. And then you make the choice. That's the other thing. Why not go to him and say, here's your role. We say this all the time about college basketball coaches who have to broom guys in the offseason. And they can say, hey, here's your role. And this is what it's going to be. What do you think? I don't know. Why didn't that conversation happen? Because I don't think it did. I think, I think, you know, he didn't like that he didn't play against Tampa. He was pissed off and they waved him. Did Ed just maybe predict where Albert Pujols is going to wind up? He's going to wind up with Brad Pitt in Oakland. Oh, how much is he going to cost him? Well, I think. Well, that's the other thing. What? What? Do you know what happens there in the thirty? How much the next team has I mean, to pick up? Baseball's fully guaranteed, so I'm under the impression the Angels have to pay it. That's why yesterday they said St. Louis had no interest and Chicago with LaRusse had no interest. Things, guys, he thought they'd go to or people thought he'd go to, and they both know had no interest. And I was thinking. I mean, if I don't have to pay anything for the guy, I take him on. Yeah. I mean, if just, I, now if I'm on the hook for a lot of money, I'm not going to touch yeah. him. Um, what's the interesting part to me, though, is before yesterday, before he got designated for assignment, 
The Angels have played 29 games. Pools have played in 24 of them. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't like Pools was playing 10 right. out of 24 games right. this year. Like, he's played in almost every game of the season. And I just, he's hit below 200. Yeah, and he's been bad. Yeah. Like, he has, like, it... From the Angels' standpoint, I think they're in last place right now in the NL West. But, like, from the Angels' standpoint, it makes sense not to put Pools in the line. Maybe that's why the front office said, hey, hey, Joe, um... That guy's hitting 190. Could you stop? Can we get him out of the lineup for once? So maybe that's why the front Joe, office Joe, we'll get you in. the free soda you're asking for, but we need to get him out of the lineup. And don't worry about them being in last place because they play the Dodgers for three over the weekend. So oh, they'll, sweet they'll, be, they'll, they'll be up in second by Monday. <laughs> but it's somehow the Dodgers will only be a half game yes, back. The actually, the Dodgers are going to get swept and lead the National League West at the end of the, the end of the weekend. So I'm, I'm just... a dumb season. <laughs> I'm just fascinated. Like, what actually happened here? Because... I can't imagine again. Pujols has played played in twenty four of twenty nine games, and and Pujols is is forty one. I think twenty four of twenty nine. That might be even more than you would have expected a forty one yes. year old to play, yes. especially one hitting below two hundred. Yeah. So like, what the hell else happened? Because this could not have been. Pujols thought he was playing, got told he wasn't playing, and it was like, oh, okay, I just can't play here anymore. Or like, it can't have been that one thing. What was it? Because it it couldn't have also been playing time before that because he was playing in almost every game. So I just, I'm fascinated. I am very intrigued by what the hell happened because Albert Pujols, again, he's not been good this year, but he's, I mean, in my generation, he might be the best hitter I've ever seen. Like, I guess Barry Bonds is in my generation. So no, he's not. But second best hitter I've ever seen. Hey, I remember it happening. But like. He's one of the best hitters I've ever seen. Even if he's hitting 200, you don't just designate him for assignment because of one blow up with playing time. I'm just, it's fascinating. It's unbelievably fast. Like even like compared to Marc-Andre Fleury, very comparable, although Fleury's actually good now and Pujols wasn't. But like Fleury's agent tweeted out a picture of a sword in his back and the Golden Knights didn't even end up trading him. Trading him, he's going to be the playoff goalie. He's going to try to win him a cup. He's one of the best players. (laughs) Like it's... I, it's just fascinating to me that he's he's just gone. Like, they just released Albert Pujols. Like, it's just bizarre to me that that happened. So, my question is, in those games that he played, was he DHing or was he starting at first? Because there's primary, I think he's uh, been the primary DH. He's been the Poland. DH because he actually said, they asked me yesterday about uh, Nashley, and he actually said this. He goes, well, there's no DH. Like, I think he knows where he's at. Because yeah. he, there was a quote from him yesterday saying, they said uh, the Cardinals, and he said, well, obviously I'd love to go back there, but there's no DH. Like, he knew. What he'd have to do? He's been well. He's been playing first base, I think, more because Otani's the DH. Well, that's well. So that's what's funny is because I've done extensive research on why DHs. You you. Anyway, I'm not a big fan of the DH, but him in particular, his batting average goes down when he DHs. If he's playing in the field, he yeah, has a much yeah. higher batting more focused. average. Yeah, yeah, there's something. I there's something about that. it. He was pissed. Uh, Ryan Yarber, he was uh, six of nine with two home runs and seven RBIs, lifetime against a guy. He was pissed he didn't get a hit against him. Maybe that's what he thought. I might be hitting 200, but old Ryan's on the mound. So I'm going I'm <laughs> to go four for four and hit a home run. At the end of the night, I'm going to be at, it's early in the season. I'm going to be at 242. He is uh he has played first base twenty times. Oh, this twenty year. of the twenty four? Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. All right. Then I don't know what's wrong. Then he's forty one <laughs> years old. Yeah, then he's forty one years old and yeah. he's hitting under two hundred. With I, chronic foot problems. Yeah, it's like he's on pace to have negative fifteen defensive runs saved at first base this year. Yeah, he's bad. I mean, but he's 41. He's one of the greatest players ever. It's I'm sorry, sometimes not sometimes, all the time, the game is gonna eventually catch up to you. And it has the last few years. It's not like last year was an MVP. I mean, this has kind of been going on now for several years leading into this. So it's too bad, yeah. but it happens every day. An yeah. incredible career. By by uh, OPS plus, he has been a below average hitter for five straight seasons. Okay, so 
So what you're saying is, should the wife have been correct in saying this? Is oh, the Instagram post that said it was his last year, and then the backtrack and say just in Los Angeles. This is just the last well, year of his contract. She might have been. Let's be honest. I don't she, know. Who's she picking. could have said it was the last month, and she yes, would have been exactly. right because he's already gone. I just I, unbelievably fast. Like one of my friends texted me, just all caps, Pujols, and. <laughs> As an Astros fan, Albert Pujols has been the greatest terror of my baseball life because he was the greatest hitter in St. Louis, right. terrifying for the Houston oh, Astros, yeah, was, yeah, and then the terrible. Astros managed to follow him to the AL West. <laughs> Unbelievable. Hate that. But he texts me all caps Pujols, and I'm like, what the hell did he do? He's not playing us. He couldn't have right. hit a home run off of us. I'm watching us play the Yankees right now, and I, I literally didn't believe that he got released. Like, I didn't believe that he got released because... It's it's Albert Pujols. Nobody releases that guy. I'm if I'm an Angel fan, I'm more interested. I mean, you know, he's gone. He's not playing anyway, so fans don't like. Fans aren't going to like really support guys who can't hit for the last five years or whatever it is. Like, I'm far more interested in the report that the front office made this decision. Like, I'm like, really? Because I would expect Joe Madden's pretty pretty respected enough to where I would have thought Joe Madden made this decision that not, it wasn't the front office. Well. I mean, maybe Joe Madden was giving too much respect to the guy that was hitting one ninety. Well, that could have been true. Right, like I'm, I'm like I, I don't know how this played out, but if if I'm in the front office and Joe Madden keeps putting the guy hitting one ninety in the order, and I assume he's all he's almost always hitting like fourth or fifth in that lineup. Right. Like I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Why would they have to do this this week? Why couldn't they wait three more games? <laughs> Did you see Joe Art Joe Artie's online too? Artie, Joe, we're leaving. We're we're releasing this guy, even though I have to pay him thirty million dollars. Yeah. That's another thing. Like you said, if, if I don't know, I, I I'm fascinated whenever you're on the hook for thirty million dollars and you release a guy. I again, unless he becomes a terror in the in the clubhouse because he doesn't want to play and he starts like you know uh, becomes this guy in the clubhouse that causes all these issues, which I don't think Pulhos at forty one, who's a Hall of Famer, would do that. I mean, I know he wants to play, but he doesn't come off like he's going to be a complete lunatic and like sour the team. I don't get releasing him. I mean, you're paying this guy and pay this guy thirty million dollars this year, and you just walk away from him. I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe that one conversation after he didn't play against Ryan Yarber, like said, "Oh, we can't keep this guy. He's going nuts." Is uh, is Albert Pujols' contract with the Angels one of the worst in the history of baseball? Well, it worked out that way, obviously, because he, he didn't reach the. Well, just looking here, he played eleven years in St. Louis. He was top five in MVP voting all but one year. <sighs> And that one year he was ninth. Um, his his uh, since getting traded or since signing with the Angels, he's never been top fifteen in MVP voting. He had two years where he finished seventeenth, which I assume is he got one vote. Like that's got to be the worst contract of yeah. all time. Like he's getting paid thirty million this year. Uh, the Angels have a couple of pitching contracts that I would I would think are pretty bad. Off the top of my head, I can't remember their name. Good that's work. Me. Coming up next, <laughs> we talked to Brad Spielberg of Pro Football Focus. I don't think because Julio Jones wasn't traded on draft weekend, I don't think that means he, that he won't be traded. And in fact, I'd say it's better than 50-50 that he will be traded before training camp begins. The reason is, obviously, the, the Falcons are basically in cap jail right now, and they could clear an awful lot of space by trading Julio Jones June 2 or after, meaning they could separate his cap hit into two years instead of taking it all now. So that's why I still think 
there's a good chance he's going to get traded. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Peter King there talking about Julio Jones and the chances of him getting moved after June 1st. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Brad Spielberger. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Brad, how are you this morning? Hi, Brad. Doing well. How about yourself? Good. Uh, so what do you make of that? Do you think there's a good chance Julio Jones gets traded after June 1st? Yeah, so I, uh, as a cap you know, researcher and all that, I, I like that there's a, a June 1st discussion going on in the offseason. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it's it's something to monitor for sure. They're they're in a tough spot, and you know you heard a lot of how a lot of teams viewed um, you know Kyle Pitts as something of a wide receiver if need be. So maybe he does kind of free up the Julio Jones. Uh, you know he's not going to take on that X receiver role and be that dominant number one outside receiver, but he is another dominant passing weapon, and and maybe that does lead to a potential trade. How? Uh, I'm talking, uh, and you said June 1st, uh, and in terms of cap or what you're hearing, how difficult would it be for anyone to trade for Aaron Rodgers? Do people get you know lost in what the money would work out? And we, The Raiders here obviously have been mentioned as a landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. Wait, give me the percentage you think it happens, and really how difficult for a player like that is to be moved. So it's really tough, um, but because Rodgers' contract has kind of been restructured and reworked in recent years, um, he'd only cost about $15 million to a new team in terms of cap space um, in that first year. And they would obviously, it sounds like he also would be looking for an extension right away. Uh, and they could probably, via that extension, you know, drop the cap even more if they need to, um, because obviously only about half the league right now even has $15 million in cap space. Uh, the Raiders have about half of that. So they would have to, you know, maneuver some numbers and things like that. As for how likely I think it is, I really don't see it happening. I just don't think it's something the Packers really do. Um, yeah, I know they have Jordan Love, and they kind of have you know this future plan. Um, but I think they're just going to sit there and, and kind of call his bluff. And and if he wants to go the Brett Favre route, they you know they've they've done that dance before. So I suppose they'll they'll let their retirement threats play out and just kind of see where it goes from there. So obviously the Packers have um, taken a lot of heat for drafting Jordan Love on the idea of wasting a first round pick on a quarterback, not getting another weapon for Aaron Rodgers. But from the salary cap side of it. How dumb is it to take a quarterback in the first round and plan to sit him for one, two, three years behind a different quarterback? That's the huge thing that I think is people have lost sight of with the Aaron Rodgers pick versus the Jordan Love pick is that the rookie wage scale, which came in 2011, has completely changed how you have to view that. And so, yeah, I mean, this whole we talk about this window when we obviously have Mahomes and guys like that where when you can spend money around that rookie quarterback, you know, when Mahomes is making, you know, four or five million dollars a year and he's worth, you know, 45 as we now know, it's such a great advantage and benefit when you have that. And so if Jordan Love isn't going to play until his third season, I mean, you're wasting 50% of that. Um, the other big thing as well is that after his third season is the, you know, the fifth year option decision. Uh, and that's now fully guaranteed as soon as you exercise it. So let's say they let Rodgers play another two years. They have to make that decision. It'll be $20, $25 million fully guaranteed, and they may have no idea how good he is you know, at the NFL level. Are teams do you, you mentioned that. Are teams, I, I know you tweeted out last night a story. Are you teams doing better with this rookie scale in terms of uh, finding advantages or edges that maybe in 2011 when they didn't know as much about it? I think so, yeah. I, I think teams are realizing more and more that you can kind of get aggressive. Uh, I mean, you, you see every offseason now, it's kind of the teams going into the third year if the quarterback has looked, you know, at least okay, they, they kind of go all in. I mean, this offseason, 
was the Giants and the Cardinals. And that's because of Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones. I mean, that's why they're, they're doing it. They still have two years left of that rookie window. You know, Murray's shown a little bit. Daniel Jones has shown a little bit. Obviously, still plenty to clean up for both of those guys. But they've shown enough. And, and the rosters, you know, they had money to spend around them. Um, and, and that's why they do it. And, and we saw it last year with the Bills and, and Josh Allen. And it's going to be a you know, continuing cycle um, as these teams realize, you know, windows are kind of made up and kind of fake, but it, but with a rookie contract quarterback, that is, that is a true window you kind of have to exploit. What do you think teams should do when they have a quarterback, and we can use the one here in Vegas like Derek Carr, and he might need an extension in a couple of years. When you have a quarterback that's like clearly good, like Derek Carr is one of the top 15 quarterbacks, but he's not one of the top five, and we're pretty certain he's never going to be one of the top five, like – what should teams do when they have a Derek Carr and it's time to extend him or let him go? It's a really tough spot, and I think this is kind of a phenomenon we've seen in the last year even where teams realize, I think in the old days, you just keep paying that guy. You just hope that you put you know, an offensive line and receivers around him and you build a defense, and you just hope that you kind of get lucky and stay healthy and make a playoff run, whatever. I think teams are now realizing that unless you have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, Sure, you can make the playoffs or you know, maybe consistently make the playoffs, but you're not making deep runs in the NFL playoffs without one of the best quarterbacks. Um, so it's tough. I mean, I, I think at this point, a quarterback with two years left on his deal like Carr with almost nothing guaranteed, or actually nothing guaranteed, normally those guys are getting extended. You know, the fact he wasn't extended this offseason alone is somewhat noteworthy. So it, it seems like that marriage is ending. Um, you know, there were rumors about the, the trades and stuff like that, which obviously didn't transpire, but you know, I think it does mean something that they didn't extend him. There were rumors they were maybe looking in the draft if somebody fell. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to let this kind of run its course, but I don't think they're they're fully pot committed to Derek Carr. Uh, we talked about uh, earlier this week. It might be three straight years where they have been the worst at reaching in terms of value, meaning the Raiders, uh, Furrow, we under, you know, um, Arnett, all these names. Uh, studying as you do, are they as bad as people perceive them to be in reaching? They do tend to take guys a lot earlier than, you know, consensus says they're, they're technically, you know, ranked. Uh, you know, I look at the consensus big board. It's the thing the athletics RFSON puts out. And it kind of just takes 50 different media members. So it's not based on anyone, not just PFF, not just, you know, you know name your favorite player there or person there. It's everybody, in, you know, in the media's general consensus. And they do. It's kind of them. Uh, the Seahawks tend to do it as well, which I guess is, a, is, you know, a good comparison for the Raiders. But, yeah, they just tend to take these guys way earlier than everyone thinks they're going to go off. And I think the big thing there is, you know, some of them work out. Like a Colton Miller had the same critique, and he's obviously a very good left tackle, just got a massive extension. But it's not so much about the, well, let's just see the result and worry about it later. It's also like they could have potentially gotten this guy later, and so you, you could have gotten multiple guys, you know, really highly ranked players, stuff like that. So it's just not – it doesn't demonstrate attacking good value. Um, and, yeah, they, 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 tend, they continue that tradition this, this year. What is your best uh, explanation or understanding as to why the Raiders would give Colton Miller that extension when they could have had him for two more years before extending him? You know, I actually like it, like the move. Uh, you know, I think the early extension, um, even in this COVID time, it's been a, been a bit slower. We haven't seen as many as we normally have by May. But, you know, they're kind of getting out ahead of the market. You know, the left tackle market has totally exploded. We saw Trent Williams this offseason. We saw, you know, David Bakhtiari during the season last year. These guys are now making, you know, $22, $23 million per year. And I think the Raiders are pretty smart. You get them for $18 million per year, you tack on three more years, so you have five years of contract control. Um, and, and I think there's going to be guys that continue to blow past them. So, so I like the move. 
You know, now with the Orlando Brown trade, and he's not going to move over to left tackle, he'll probably surpass Colton Miller. Um, and I think there's just going to be more guys coming up along the offensive line, and, and that deal is going to look like a steal in, you know, not too long from now. So with him being – so how good does he have to be to actually be a good deal? Like, if he stays exactly who he is as a left tackle, isn't he ultimately getting paid basically what you would expect a, an average left tackle to be paid? Yeah, yeah, you know, you'd hope for a little bit more growth. You know, he was considered a project coming out and kind of raw, very athletic, but a raw player. Um, he is still kind of perceived as a bit one-dimensional. Um, you know, great in, in pass protection, could get better in, in, run, in run blocking. Um, and I think there's, there's room for growth there. So, you know, I think he, he could take another step, and I think this extension is them signaling they believe that next step is coming. Um, he's obviously now the, you know, the elder statesman on the line after being kind of the young buck with all the, the guys they had before. So, um, yeah, I mean, if he plays as he has you know, up to this point, it'll be a fine deal. If he gets a little better and kind of steps up into that top, you know, eight left tackle range, it, it, I'm telling you, it'll look like a really good deal. So, okay, let me ask you on the offensive line and as far as like the salary cap goes, the Raiders for the last handful of years, it had one of the most expensive offensive lines in football. They've blown that up and now like nobody's getting paid except Colton Miller. Like, can that work? Like, can you blow, can you go cheap on the offensive line and sort of game plan scheme, build your roster around a cheap offensive line and kind of hide it? It's a, it's a great question. I think it's something that teams are starting to realize, um, you know, with quick outs and just getting the ball out quickly. Um, quarterbacks are kind of able to kind of get, get past a, a mediocre offensive line. Um, but, you know, as you said, you also have seen the Raiders when they did have everyone healthy and playing well. You know, that offensive line was a true difference maker. Um, but they were paying for it. So it's interesting. You know, I think they're also going to need, you know, Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, these guys to get open quickly um, and, and make plays in the open field uh, because they may not have as much time to kind of run these these deeper routes, these slower progressing routes. So it's something you can get away with, but I think you need a quarterback. I think Derek Carr definitely fits. Um, you know, as a guy who can get the ball out quickly, um, is not afraid to check it down, maybe maybe too much not afraid to check it down. But um, I think you can get away with it. I think at the end of the day they realize that, you know, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson weren't bad players. Um, you know, Trent Brown, you can throw him there as well. But they probably have, at this point were not playing up to their contract. Maybe Hudson was. But um, – so I think they realize, like, look, we could keep paying these guys and have an average O line, or we could just hit the reset button and save a lot of money there, try to fix this kind of dreadful defense. And yeah, the O line would be not as good, um, but I think it'll still be, you know, efficiency based on dollars spent. It'll still be a better unit. Whether it's the Raiders or another team, uh, what are some of the obvious or consistent uh, mistakes teams are now making in the salary cap era where they get in trouble? So I think a big one um, is still kind of paying players that, you know, frankly are, are, are not really near the top of their position, but they're good players. There's a connection there. There's kind of a sunk cost belief there. Um, yeah, and so the team kind of feels like they have to pay them. Um, and, and, and frankly, if a guy is not one of the top players in his position, um, you know, there's no reason to kind of extend and go beyond that and overpay. Um, I think an obvious one as well, uh, the Raiders kind of fell prey to this this offseason, but – um, you know, paying running backs in free agency, uh, you're just, the historically, I mean, the data is, is overwhelming. You're just not going to get good value there. Um, and, and why Kenyon Drake got the money he did? Based on the market alone, like, forget the player. I mean, you're seeing his replacement in Arizona, James Conner, take a near-minimum contract. Um, and, and to me, there's no evidence Kenyon Drake is, is astronomically better than James Conner. Uh, and so for him to get two years, $11 million, and again, it's not a ton of money. It's, it's, it's basically, you know, you know, left guard money, but it's still, it's just, 
such an unnecessary spend. So, um, you know, those are some big ones. And I think also um, maybe this isn't exactly just salary cap and spending, but also teams that are still trading first-round picks, sometimes multiple first-round picks, for defensive players. Like, what? Jamal Adams is a great player, sure, but there is no play that Jamal Adams could ever put up that would justify two first-round picks, and then now they're going to have to pay him, who knows, dollars $15, $16, $17 million per year. It, it's impossible for him to justify that, that, that expenditure. Um, and, and that keeps happening. We see with, even with edge rushers who are you know, maybe more valuable, whatever. You just can't justify giving up multiple first-round picks and massive contracts to one player besides the quarterback. Now, Brad, of course, Kenyon Drake, they had to get another joker because of, uh, you know, they, they, they drafted <laughs> Lynn Bowden last year and traded him, so you got to get a joker. I think that's what their reasoning is. you got to get a joker in there, yeah. This is Miami about, <laughs> about two months into his career. Um, yeah, no, I know. I and mean, You want to use him more as a receiver, maybe just uh, sign a slot receiver if that's what you were looking for. Huh? <laughs> Do we know, uh, does the franchise tag go up for Kenyon Drake because John Gruden refers to him as the joker so much? <laughs> Does he get to argue that? His agent should argue it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Brad, we appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, Kenyon Drake. Jared asks a good question. How much should a joker be paid? Like, is there a minimum you could pay the joker? Well, I guess it's eleven. Million. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I guess it's eleven million dollars. <laughs> like, how how mad is somebody who's like maybe a Gruden the non-Joker? Dis- well, like a Gruden disciple being like, "Well, now you set the market yeah, on Joker." Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Other coaches around league, Johnny, what are you doing? We, we we've got a Joker. Do- we got a Joker. We're only paying him five million. The Dolphins are like, we we were gonna bring back Lynn Bowden. Yeah, but, but now we can't. The He's Raiders a Joker. made a Joker an eleven million dollar contract. Uh, All right, coming up next. The state of Georgia. Oh, student athletes can get paid soon, but they're going to try to take all their money anyway. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. You know, take a little bit of that power back. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. So, so that wasn't Terry Bradshaw. It's not Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> that was uh, John Coon, former fullback of the Packers. And that sounded to make a lot more sense at 815. Uh, but now, really? Throw me the under state the state of Georgia is, uh, so starting July 1st, student athletes at Georgia universities will be able to make money on their name and likeness. They're going to have an NIL, uh, the July 1st, if you're Georgia's starting quarterback, you can have an endorsement deal with some restaurant there or whatever and start making money. Well, there is a law that is uh, about to be passed, apparently, in the state of Georgia that is going to allow the universities to take that endorsement money from the athletes. So the way it's written is it would allow, like, take the University of Georgia as an example, if, if their quarterback gets a, a $10,000 deal with some restaurant, right? This university would be able to take 75% of that Jesus, and put it into just like a big fund that would then be redistributed to all student athletes when they graduate. Sounds like communism. So like they would take 75%, put it in this fund, and then whenever student athletes graduate next year at Georgia, they'll give some out to the swimmers and the volleyball and team. And then Bob and the from the tennis players. team gets a check for $422? Yes. 
This is what the law would allow them to do. Now, I use Georgia's as an example. Georgia has already come out and said they are not going to do this. This this law would just allow the universities to do it if they wanted to. Georgia's already said, we're not doing that. So it's not going to happen to Georgia's quarterback, but it could. Georgia Tech could decide to do it. Like, it's... It's very bizarre to me. I the only thing I could I was trying to figure out why. Like who came up with this and what was the reasoning? Like why would you want the university to be able to take 75% of the endorsement money? And the only thing I could come up with was some like weird incentive to graduate. That like, hey, you got to stay with the school for four years and get your degree, and then you'll get some of that money back. But we also gave half of it to the swimming team. Pretty big incentive for what you're gonna get. (laughs) I mean, the cut of that. I mean, look. It, it's probably also they need they need another fund because they only made forty five million off TV rights and fifty four million off sponsorships. So Georgia's obviously hurting. Um, I thought I maybe I thought that's the reason why when the governor signed this bill in uh, this week to allow the athletes to uh, recoup name, image, and likeness, why everyone was in attendance except football coaches. So they're probably like, yeah, you're doing this, but you're going to take half, half or 75% of these kids' money anyway. So the, Kirby Smart obviously is like, I can't recruit to this right, as well exactly. as I could if I could say, Jimmy, you're getting all the money. Exactly. And that that's why like you you cannot imagine a school actually using this. Because imagine. No, especially that school. Imagine if Georgia was taking 75% of the endorsements and they're recruiting a kid against literally any other SEC school. Yeah. The, if I'm the other SEC school's coach, I'm saying, okay, yeah, you'll be on a commercial for whatever sandwich shop there, but you're only getting 25% yeah. of that endorsement. You come here, it's you get all of it. <laughs> Can you, how much you want to be a fly on the wall when the university president calls Saban and says, look, we got to take this. <laughs> I mean, Saban, who's more powerful than the university president, say, no, we're not doing that and walk out of the room. I mean, I can't imagine someone telling Saban, your quarterback, Bryce Young next year, this start, the next start at Alabama, he's going to get – you know, 20,000 for this, but they're taking 75%. Say, like, yeah, we're not doing that. That's not happening. It's so stupid. You, 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 you go ahead and take 75% of the swimmer's money. How about yeah, that? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when the swimmer is on a commercial, then uh, you can take 75% of the swimmer's money, according to Saban. It's so dumb. Like, I can't, I cannot comprehend why they thought well, this was a good idea. And or, a lot of these states, needed. a lot of these states, obviously, also, like we talked in the break, are getting at, trying to get ahead of whatever the Supreme Court decides. So once the federal level decides this might all be. You know, moot at yeah, this point. If the federal level says you're not doing this or you're going to do this with the name, image, and likeness. Yeah, well, Georgia, they'll be like, oh, give us 75% of it, please. We're going to redistribute this. I love those sentences. Georgia made $45 million off media rights and $57 million off donations. <laughs> but they need <laughs> 75% of the commercial their running back was in. For what? Stuckies? <laughs> yeah. It's like some grocery store is paying out. It's like, hey, how did all that money end up with the Georgia tennis team players? It's ridiculous. I So... I don't know. I, it seems bizarre. I uh, Georgia said they're not going to. The University of Georgia said they're not going to do it. I can't imagine like Georgia Tech or any of the other universities there. Are actually no SEC do that team is going to do that on competitive advantage. Yeah, no chance. You're just going to get crushed yeah. doing that. Like there's there's no way to recruit against that if you're Alabama or Tennessee. Zero.